Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Happy 2010, everybody. I'm Ian Abernethy, and it doesn't seem like 10 years since the millennium, does it? <laughs> Can't believe a decade's in already. Frightening, isn't it? Um, and that thought is what prompted me to do the uh, this month's podcast on history. So that's what we're going to be discussing. Um, history and how it can affect both positively and negatively our martial arts study. Uh, before we get into that, just a couple of quick announcements for you. Two quick announcements. Uh, the first one is that Jison Magazine, the sixth issue of Jison Magazine, is now available to download. If you visit uh, jisonmag.com, J-I-S-S-E-N-M-A-G.com, uh, you can download the sixth issue there. And as always, you know, it's been up there a few weeks now and it's uh, been proving very popular. So thanks to everyone for the feedback on that. And the other thing is that the Extreme Impact Training Program that myself and my good friend Steve Williams have been uh, producing um, downloads for, those first five downloads um, should be ready to purchase in the not-too-distant future, in the next week or so. Um, those, obviously, they cover a whole host of uh, training methods that myself and Steve make a great deal of use of, where, and we've divided up by various techniques and various combative uh, attributes as well. So um, I hope you find those uh, useful and enjoyable. We've certainly had plenty of feedback on them. Uh, since I announced we'd be doing those in the newsletter, there's been a high level of interest in them, so you won't have to wait uh, too much longer. Um, so fairly long podcast this month, uh, surprisingly, because I know I never ever do this, <laughs> I, talk, I talk for a little bit longer than I thought I was going to, so it's a little bit longer than normal. So I'll keep this introduction really brief and hand you straight over to me for a discussion on history. In this podcast, I want to discuss how martial artists should view history and where we came from. Is an understanding of history important, or is it an irrelevant distraction from the pursuit of combative efficiency? Perhaps a bit of both. You know, As I see it, history can be a force for both progress and stagnation. Uh, and in this podcast, I'd like to talk about a number of issues relating to history. So those who are familiar with my writings and past podcasts will know that I draw a distinction between pragmatists and historians. So an historian would be someone who is interested in how the martial arts were practiced in the past, and historical accuracy would be their primary concern. Uh, conversely, a pragmatist is someone who wants to make the martial arts as efficient as possible um, in today's world. Combative effectiveness would be their primary concern. So I would class myself as a pragmatist, as I always place uh, modern combative efficiency above adherence to the practices of history. Just give a little example, you know, my eldest son is a keen archer. Uh, his study of the bow and arrow is primarily historic, and I guess to a degree sporting as well, because he's learning a weapon that is now outdated. Now, there can be great enjoyment for him in his study, I mean, he loves it. But a pragmatist would not study such things as a modern gun would now be the projectile weapon of choice. So my personal identification as a pragmatist may surprise some due to the heavy emphasis I place on traditional kata. However, kata is part of my practice because it serves my aims as a pragmatist. I don't practice kata for historical interest or to remain true to tradition. I practice kata and bunkai because I find the work. When we begin our martial practice, we are taught the system of our teachers, and as time passes, we should begin to discriminate and decide what aspects of that teaching we wish to keep as is, 
what aspects we wish to reinterpret or adapt, develop, and which aspects will totally drop. Now, this is the shuhari process that I talked about in greater detail in the uh, Styles Are They Killing Karate podcast. Now, as part of my own martial arts uh, development, there are practices that I have dropped. For example, in my own dojo, we do no one-step, three-step, or five-step sparring. It matters little to me that those practices were passed on to me. It also matters little to me that such practices uh, could be considered traditional, although I would personally dispute that definition, or, or that such things could be argued to be of historical importance. It's my experience that such practices do not lead to combative efficiency. Indeed, I find they get in the way of it by introducing many falsehoods, and hence I have not kept those practices. Now, I can assure you that if I had found kata to be of little combative value, I would also have dropped it without hesitation. I also fully support those who have not found value in kata and have hence dropped it from their own practice. However, it's been my personal experience that kata has uh, a lot to offer and hence it's central to what I do. Now, I'll reiterate that kata is central to what I do, not because it is historical or traditional, but because I find it has a, um, it, it's proven its value to me and, and my students for its combative efficiency, its combative value. So kata was something taught to me as part of my martial study under my teachers, and as time passed I endeavoured to understand kata in greater depth. The more I studied kata, the more combative value I found in them. Kata provided a syllabus and a structure to the physical self-protection of uh, civilian combatives, uh, aspects of my study and my teaching. I found kata to be a very valuable part of my practice and teaching, so I invested more time in its study and practice. As part of my study of kata, it was important that I understood the process of its development. What was kata originally created for, and uh, how kata practice and kata themselves had developed over time. Now, I found that kata was originally a method of ensuring that information relevant to civilian combat was preserved and passed on through the generations. Uh, kata was then reinterpreted into a very formal karateka versus karateka affair in the early 1900s. I've written about that uh, elsewhere, and if you want to learn more about that, then just check out previous podcasts or the, the article section of, uh, of ianabernethy.com. But the essential point is, for me to find value in kata, I needed to be aware of these historical changes and to strip them out in order to achieve the combative efficiency that I sought. So even though I'm a pragmatist, an understanding of history was still needed to achieve that pragmatism when it came to kata and bunkai. And this brings us to a very important distinction. I believe that my approach to Katra and Bunkai is in line with the historical information available to us, and I also believe it to be combatively functional. But can I say that the specifics of the Bunkai I teach are exactly the same as the combative techniques that gave rise to Katra in the first instance? Now, in a small number of cases where we have specific references to certain motions, i.e. an armbar in Nahanshi and the double leg pickup in Pasai, which are both referenced in Funakoshi's early writing, the answer would be yes. I can, I can say that definitely the bunkai that I teach is, is the original, assuming that Funakoshi is purporting the original. But in the majority of cases, I could not be certain that my bunkai is the same as the originator's bunkai. I can be certain that the precepts that give rise uh, to that bunkai are the same. So, for example, the fact that the angle in kata represents the angle you are in relation to the opponent is uh, referenced in the writings of both Motobu and Mabuni. So I would expect that when addressing the same problem, civilian conflict, through studying the same solution, uh, the kata in question, with a common set of principles, that the end results would be very similar. 
but we can never be certain that they are the same. Now, this is back to the important distinction. For an historian who is interested in the specifics of how things are done in the past, there is a problem when there is no firm historical certainty. But as a pragmatist, it matters little if the bunkai being practiced is 100% historically accurate or not. All that matters is that it works. Now, the evidence is simply not there for an historian to draw uh, firm conclusions one way or the other on the, the specifics of uh, most bunkai. Uh, we can rule things out, though, because although the information may, may not be there to confirm specifics, there is evidence, you know, we can rule certain things out. Um, but the fact remains that the, the historian is reliant on historical information for validity. The pragmatist, however, can check their conclusions in conflict and hence their validity can easily and definitively be confirmed or denied. Uh, it's not adherence to the past we should be seeking, but adherence to what works today. Um, one of which, you know, we can, we can check and confirm, you know, we can check and confirm whether things work or not. We can't always check the historical accuracy of things or not. Before we move on with this discussion, it's worth pointing out that those who deem historical accuracy as being important, and those who also feel that pragmatic bunkai is a modern falsehood, and there's a few of them around, that there is not the historical evidence to support their view that kata is about other karateka patiently waiting on the eight cardinal compass points in order to launch their oizukis on cue and not a moment before. Now there is some relatively modern writing that espouses that view to be sure, but there is nothing to suggest such practices were part of karate before it reached the shores of mainland Japan. There is, however, evidence that such practices were not part of karate uh, before this time. So not only does choreographed karateka versus karateka bunkai not work practically, there's also little to support it historically. Uh, the key point I wish to make here is that, in my view as a pragmatist, we should always put pragmatism ahead of adherence to either historical dogma or pseudo-historical dogma. Um, there is value in history insofar as it helps us understand our foundations, but we should be building upon those foundations and measuring by effect, not measuring by perceived historical accuracy. So, you know, are we martial artists or historical battle reenactors? Um, do we want to know if our skills will help us today, if they're valid today? As I've said many times before, to my way of thinking, traditional is not about rigidly sticking to historical dogma. It's about Pursuing what has always been pursued, well, aside from the last few decades or so. Um, when we take what has been passed on to us and do all we can to ensure ever-increasing combative efficiency through information gathering, testing and refinement, we are walking the path that the past masters walked, and it is then that we are being traditional. We should not get stuck in the past, as one thing that everything in the past has in common is that it's no longer current. Karate will die if we place too great an emphasis on history. Um, just to move on now. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was uh, I was assisted Peter Considine eighth dan when he taught a, a rare open seminar. I train with Peter on a regular basis, and that training is always conducted in shorts and t-shirts as opposed to geese. Uh, so this seminar was was no different. Um, one wonders if we had been in geese whether people would have deemed it as been more traditional or not. But I'll come to that. Uh, Peter has some very innovative and effective ways of generating power and ensuring flowing transition between techniques. Now, these aspects of Peter's teaching have had a huge influence on my own teaching, and it was these topics that the seminars covered. Um, as an aside, actually, that seminar was taped, and it was released under the title of uh, Training Day Seminar, I think, and you'll be able to get that off uh, uh, PeterConstadine.com. So Peter and Constadine spelled C-O-N-S. 
S-T-E-R-D-I-N-E.com, uh, the Training Day Seminar. Um, it's well worth checking. The whole thing's on there. Anyway, but many traditional karateka attended that seminar, and all of them you know, were impressed by the effectiveness of what Peter taught and demonstrated. Now, after the event, I was asked by many people how I tied what Peter had taught in with my traditional karate. Now, this was a difficult question to answer for me because I don't see the question as being valid. Uh, seeking optimum combative efficiency is what is traditional to my mind, and hence it was traditional for me to bring elements of Peter's teaching into my own teaching and practice because it enhanced that combative efficiency. It matters little to me that such methods were not part of my core style, or that um, they were modern as opposed to historical methods. All that mattered to me is that they worked, and that's why they became part of what I do and teach. Funakoshi, in Karate Do My Way of Life, said of his two main teachers, uh, both Azato and his good friend Itosu shared at least one quality of greatness. They suffered from no petty jealousy of other masters. They would present me to other masters of their acquaintance, urging me to learn from each the techniques at which they excelled. As from that, we can see that Azato, Itosu, and Funakoshi were keen on the idea of seeking the best methods out there, as opposed to rigidly sticking to the teachings of any one master or any given method. Um, see, you can see the sort pragmatism, not adherence to historical dogma. But anyway, um, I was chatting with Peter about you know the feedback about how do you fit this in with traditionalism uh, a few days later when we next met up to train. And, you know, and I told him that people had been asking me how it was possible to tie in his teachings with traditional karate. And Peter uh, rhetorically asked, because since when has hitting hard not been traditional? <laughs> you know, and that's a key point for me. Do we stick to something we know to be less efficient because it is historical? Now, a historian or a battle reenactor may well do that, but as a modern martial artist who wants reasonable skills, it would be a very bizarre and tenuous position to take that, and yet we see it all the time. I've lost count of the number of uh, so-called traditional martial artists who'll reject obviously effective methods on the basis that it's not traditional, it's not what they did in the past, it's not what Master so-and-so originally taught, or it's not how my style does it. I mean, these are all examples of past history being placed ahead of functionality. And perhaps, paradoxically, as we've seen, that's not what the old masters did at all. Um, the Okinawan masters did not preserve uh, their native art or the Chinese systems that were taught to them. They melded them together and tried to make them better. Indeed, if you look at what happened, not one generation kept things exactly the same as they were passed on to them. They all took what was taught to them and tried to make it better. That's how all the various styles evolved in the first place. Not a single one of the masters of the classical generation took what they were taught and passed it on totally unaltered without revision, subtraction or addition. It just didn't happen. So to again quote Funakoshi from Karate Do My Way of Life, Funakoshi said, Times change, the world changes, and obviously the martial arts must change too. Now in that same section, Funakoshi talks about the changes to karate during his own lifetime. So, you know, change is traditional. The idea of things being passed on without change over endless generations is a pure myth. Now, I don't want to get into this too much, but I feel uh, the notion of things remaining historically fixed only really takes off when you're no longer measuring by effect. See the lost podcast for discussion on that. And things have warped so much that effectiveness is being lost. Now, you then need a new datum by which to measure improvement. So an arbitrary standard is set, which is justified with the myth of it being traditional or historically pure. And then uh, when we do that, we're no longer pursuing what the uh, masters originally pursued themselves, but instead we've deified an empty and hollow shell of the art. 
Now, I hope it's clear anyway, but let me make it totally clear that I'm in no way saying that the karate, uh, the karate that's been given to us should not be valued or respected. Quite the contrary. It's great information uh, that saves us from having to start from scratch. As in all fields of human endeavour, what is passed on to us means we don't need to rediscover it, and it provides us a base on which to build. Without the work of those who came before, we would not have that invaluable base. But we should then build on that base and hopefully provide a better base for the next generation. When we see history as something that we should uh, rigidly adhere to, then we kill progress. Now imagine if scientists, inventors and doctors all decided that what was passed on to them should be rigidly preserved instead of using that as a base for uh, further progress. So no progress in science, no progress in medicine, no progress in technology. I mean, civilization would stall, perhaps it would even start to slide backwards. It's my view that we portray the work of the past masters and we dishonour it when we say that it should never be altered. Because when we do that, we ensure karate stagnation and demise and we contribute to the death of the art that the past masters worked so hard to create and develop. We honour the past most when we use it as a base from which to learn and from which uh, we do our best to further advance the art. Now one very important point uh, is that not everything needs to be revised or developed. We have to be careful to avoid change for change's sake in order to provide the illusion of progress. If certain aspects of what has been passed on to us are working fine as they are, then we should keep them as they are, while simultaneously acknowledging that future generations may disagree and they may change it further down the line. Um, but we should concentrate our efforts on the areas we feel that we have the information and experience to make genuine improvements on. So it's far from being all or nothing. Now, I, I mean, I get this a lot from people who are uncomfortable with my approach, and it's probably worth mentioning here that I have never said, nor will I ever say, that my way is the only way, or the best way, or that everyone must do as I do. What I do say is that my way is the best way for me, and that's why I do what I do, but it's up to others to find the best way for them. I therefore still find it a little surprising when they, those who don't want to do what I do don't extend me the same courtesy and feel the need to bring me back into the fold or um, who feel that by my choosing my own path I am somehow insulting theirs and I'm most certainly not doing that but I do reserve the right to think for myself and to share my thoughts with other interested parties. Um, anyhow, for whatever reason, I do get people, both traditionalists and modernists, writing to me to object that I'm not being consistent. Uh, the modernists generally like the realism of what I do, but they don't like, or they get confused by the fact, that I place a heavy emphasis on kata. The traditionalists, on the other hand, like the fact that I value kata, but they get upset when I spar differently and I reject things like three-step sparring. Um, so both of those groups tend to see it as being all or nothing. Um, the traditionalists in particular get upset when I'll agree with a past master on one point, but disagree with them on another. Uh, to their minds, this is being inconsistent, but I don't see it that way. I don't have to accept the past entirely, or reject it entirely. I also don't have to agree with the past masters, or anyone else for that matter, entirely, or disagree with them entirely. It's an issue by issue, technique by technique, and practice by practice affair. It's a matter of taking what works for me, and rejecting what does not work for me. In, you know, in my attempt to make the art better it, uh, for me. It's simply a matter of choosing pragmatism over historical dogma. Now, as I frequently say at the seminars, there are two common errors, I think, when it comes to looking at the traditional martial arts. And error one, right? This is thinking that the old masters got everything right, as the more blinker traditionalists are sometimes prone to do. And error two would be thinking that the old masters got everything wrong, which is what the more blinkered modernists are prone to do. Now the truth, 
as is so often the case, is often found between the uh, the two extremes. History has passed on some amazingly effective things, but not everything passed on is amazingly effective. We need to discriminate and examine all that has been passed on without wholesale acceptance or wholesale rejection. It's just using common sense and it's on an issue-by-issue issue basis. Now I'm very lucky that I get to spend a lot of my time travelling uh, traveling the globe and swapping ideas with other martial artists. Now what I see is a growing number of karateka who are honouring their traditional roots by studying those roots in depth, not in order to acquire knowledge for knowledge's sake, but to ensure total relevance to the modern world and to ensure the growth of the art. This leads to a, an expression of karate, a form of karate that is living and vibrant um, and has a bright future. You know, it, it's growing out of those historical roots. It has a bright future. However, there are those karateka who choose to be totally bound by the past um, through a misguided sense of tradition, I guess. And this will cause their karate to stagnate and become a thing of the past. Uh, the irony, of course, is they're not being truly traditional when they, they do that, but you know, I've mentioned that before. Now I can clearly see this diversion happening uh, in the UK and elsewhere. The true traditionalists who draw from their roots are growing in number at an exponential rate. The pseudo-traditionalists who were stuck in the past are declining in number. And I would say they've probably got about 10 years left at, at most. Karate has a strong history that all karateka, regardless of approach, should be very proud of. However, I would say that looking to the past only has value when we use the information that we gain from looking at the past to take us forward into the future. Too much looking into the past and, and defying the past and freezing the past will do nothing other than make karate a thing of the past. Well, that concludes the first podcast of uh, 2010, and indeed of this decade. Uh, I'll be back with another podcast next month. If you want to give me your feedback on this one, by all means, email me at ian at ianabernethy.com. Um, and uh, also, if you haven't already, check out the Christmas podcast at jeffthompson.com. Um, G-E-O-F-F-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com, jeffthompson.com. Uh, uh, Jeff's obviously on it, myself, uh, Alan Peasland, um, Richard Barnes, of course, uh, even my mother, <laughs> my mum plays a part on that podcast as well. Um, if you want to find out who's the best martial artist as well, by a very unusual means, um, between me, Jeff and Alan, there's a bit of uh, silliness on there as well. So, um, yeah, check that out. It's quite good fun to do, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it. Um, I'll be back with another podcast here, of course, next month. And in the meantime, as well as checking out Jeff's podcast, be sure to download Jisson Magazine, um, the sixth issue of that. And also, if you're a newsletter subscriber, and if you're not, they, you know, they are free, just pop along to ianabernethy.com and sign up, and you can unsubscribe at any time you like. Um, but if you if you are a newsletter subscriber, we'll be sending you details on the uh, Extreme Impact Training Program uh, very shortly. So, yeah, thanks for your support of the podcasts. And, um, yeah, we'll be back with plenty more this decade as well. Okay, speak to you soon. Take care now. Bye-bye.